Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, you know, on this show, we take you to uh, meet all different types of Orthodox Jewish people or people who have some sort of connection to the Orthodox Jewish community. And it sometimes takes me to places that I normally don't go or, you know, have a connection to. Um, and one of my... Um, sort of shortcomings in life as athletics. Um, one of my daughters was just complaining that she is the last chosen when she, uh, you know, they do a, a sporting event in her class. And I said, um, you got it from me. No need to fear. There are other good things coming in your life. Um, but yes, being chosen last was one of the things that happened often in my childhood when it came to sports. But um, through Jew in the City, I've had the privilege of uh, connecting with fabulous athletes. Um, and what we share in common is our passion for, um, you know, staying true to our Jewish values and showing the world that you can both, um, you know, do what you love um, and stay committed to halacha and Torah and mitzvot. And uh, a person who is an incredible example of someone who has this balance is a guy named Tamir Goodman. You may have heard of him before. He was dubbed the Jewish Jordan by Sports Illustrated in 1999. He's a former professional basketball player who has become a successful entrepreneur, coach, educator, and motivational speaker. During high school, he was ranked among the top 25 recruits in the country. I was like top 26, so I missed it by like a little bit, just under Tamir. Um, and he garnered national attention for averaging 35.4 point game in his junior year all while remaining faithful to his Orthodox Jewish upbringing. He achieved additional notoriety after being named MVP of the prestigious Capital Classic All-Star Game, an award won by players like Shaquille O'Neal and LeBron James. I used to think his name was James LeBron, but whatever. Um, Tamir went on to make history as the first Jewish basketball player to play D.I. Col is this D.I. College in professional D basketball. Division faithfully. Is it what is it? D did I say right? D1. D1. Oh my goodness. I can't even read your bio correctly, Tamir. While faithfully wearing a yarmulke, I know that word, on the court and without playing on the Jewish Sabbath. I could go either way. Well, thank you for joining us and for helping me out with some sports terms. Um, and uh, thank you for making time for us. Thank you for thinking of me. As you know, I'm a huge fan of your work, so it's a great honor to speak with you today. So, um, you know, I think we a lot of people kind of... Uh, I've heard of the Jewish Jordan and kind of knew that you made history with some of the stuff that you did, but I don't know if people are as clear about your backstory a little bit, kind of how you got to where you got to be. So um, just wanted to ask you first off, what was your Jewish background growing up? You know, one of the things that someone commented to me about some of the all-stars, it seems like so many of them are Bali Chuva, even though that's not true. We have a decent number who grew up religious. So can you share with our audience today what your Jewish background was like growing up? Yeah, I grew up... Um in an incredible Jewish environment in a very strong Jewish home. Uh, my father, I think my father was the first, if not one of the first um, lawyers in America to wear his kippah in court. Um, mm. And I'm talking about in like the 60s and 70s when a lot of um, Jewish lawyers would not wear their kippah in court. My father would probably wear his kippah in court. Uh, my mother um, is Israeli. She... Um, came to America after the army and met my father and, uh, they, you know, established an incredible family. Um, and my father who's a Holocaust survivor also lived with us for majority, a uh, big part of the year. So, um, grew up in a house full of Jewish pride, a very big crescent house, our house, everybody in Baltimore pretty much knew that like if anybody needed anything, they could just come to our house, a house full of joy and Jewish pride. I also grew up very close to Chabad, 
um, uh, clearly, like, you know, some of the greatest moments in my life um, that had a lasting impression on my life was when my, my parents used to take me to go to the Lubavitch Rebbe and get a dollar from the Lubavitch Rebbe mm. um, and even go to his Lag Boma parade. Um, so, you know, that those were moments that really instilled a, a great sense of Jewish pride. Uh, so that that's how I grew up. And um, I always knew that I grew up in the right environment to help me pursue my dream because in my house it was never like, there was no conflict between the physical and the spiritual. It was always like, Okay, you love basketball, like whatever you like, go for it a hundred percent and just try to find a way to make a kid Hashem or sanctify God through through your talent through through your talent or your journey. And uh, I was lucky that I grew up that way because I had all the support from my family and friends. And what where where was this in terms of location? And I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Um and I can clearly remember that even at a very young age I remember going outside in my backyard and playing basketball and just you know, one time looking at my hands and just have this moment of like looking at my hands and saying, oh, God willing, you know, these hands right here are going to show the world that you could play Division One basketball and professional basketball without playing at Shabbat. You know, that was my goal, even at a very, very young age. So when did people start to realize that there was something unusual about your abilities? Like probably a lot of boys are tossing around a basketball and girls. Girls play basketball too. But um, at what point um, did they notice that you were a cut above the rest? Well, my coach actually told my mother when I was nine years old, she said, um, you know, you're not going to have to pay for college for Tamir. He's going to get an athletic scholarship for basketball. And I don't think she understood what that meant, but uh, he was able to to, stay, to see that even when I was nine. But I think for like most, when it really got out there when I was like 16 years old, because I got invited to an invitational camp. And um, I had a lot of success at the Invitational Camp. Uh, when I got to the camp, I was a curiosity because you know, I got there with my kippah and my tittus and, and the cooler of kosher food, and all the other players were like, you know, six foot eight to over seven feet tall, full of muscles, and they really looked like basketball players, and I looked like I was lost. You know, but by the time the camp was over, I was uh, invited to play in the All-Star Game. So uh, there were a lot of Division One coaches at the camp, and I think... Uh, uh, after that camp was like the first time where I started getting uh, recruiting letters and, and offers to play Division One basketball. So, okay, so walk us through for those of us that know nothing about sports. How does it, how do, how do you get recruited to a Division One school? It starts, you have to go to a camp like this and then they see who's the best of the best and then the coaches come like that. Like what's the normal route? Yeah, usually players look to get uh, exposure. They'll go anywhere where they can get exposure, whether it's camps or tournaments or games. Um, so I was lucky enough to get invited to what's called an invitational camp. And, um, when you go there, you, you get a chance to, to play in front of college coaches. And if you play well, you, you can get an athletic scholarship offers or get your name out there. And, um, you know, actually for me, it was, it was really a big miracle because the first time I went to one of these camps, you know, throughout the week, most of the games were outdoors or outside. And when the games were outside, none of the coaches were really coming to watch me play because they just, I guess, assumed that I wasn't going to be a legitimate college prospect. Hmm. But what happened was, like, one time that week, my team was playing inside the gym um, and not outside. And it just happened to be that, thank God, the night that we were playing indoors, it started raining outside. So all the other uh, games that were going on in the camp got canceled, and all the players and all the coaches were forced to come inside and watch our team play because we were playing indoors that night. And that was the game that I, I played my best. And it just happened to be that because of the rain, all the coaches were indoors. And uh, I was able to uh, 
to to be able to perform well in front of a lot of coaches, and that was like the break my breakthrough day for me and my 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 basketball journey, I'd say. So you see God's hand in sort of this plan of having you rise up to this position that is both your hard work, but also kind of the pieces in life aligning correctly in the right time in the right place. A hundred percent. To me, that was a miracle that I, I went from nobody knowing who I was to uh, top colleges knowing who I was in literally <laughs> after one game only, just because what I, I say was a miracle with the rain because. I got the perfect exposure just on the night that um, we were playing indoors, and um, it was that was that was like a sign for me that I will I was going to be able to live out my dream, and uh, that that Hashem that God was was going to help me out. There were definitely going to be challenges, but at the end of the day, I was confident that everything was going to work out, and that was like the changing moment for me at a, at a young age. Now, where were you playing before you got invited to this invitational camp? Where were you playing basketball? Did your Yeshiva Day School have a league, or were you part of like a traveling team in your town? How did that work? Correct. No, I, I was just played for, for my local Yeshiva, mm-hmm. um, Tom Academy. And I was just blessed to have an incredible coach that uh, he would always supplement everything. In other words, like he, if we were, even if we had practice at Yeshiva, he would always bring like former Division One players or like really tall six foot eight players to come into practice and help us get better and help us never settle and help us reach our potential. So even though I, yeah, I was playing for Yeshiva, I was playing for an incredible coach and an incredible team and, uh, he would always supplement everything. So either bring college players into practice or when the season was over at the Yeshiva, he would take me to college at night and play against college players and, you know, I was very lucky that I grew up with him because many other coaches probably would have let me settle and just be satisfied with the success we had at, at the Yeshiva. But uh, he, you know, he always pushed me to to reach my my, my true potential uh, on the court, and I was very thankful that I grew up that way with Coach Cat. And um, <clears throat> the first time that you were interacting, sort of in a, a place with non-Jews, playing wise, was at one of these camps. Is that kind of the first time that you had well, those interactions? No, I think that I always had interaction with non non Jewish uh, players. I, even when I was a little kid, nine, ten years old, I would ride my bike to the park, and uh, even though they were they were adults and they wouldn't let me play, I figured that like at around nine o'clock at night there wasn't enough players, so uh, there wasn't ten players, so they would let me play for those last couple minutes. I'd literally like bounce the ball on the sideline for five six hours straight just for those three minutes I would get um, just before like nine o'clock at night. That's how much I loved the game, but I. Wow. Even then, I would always wear my kippah there, and the older players, like you know, I was always always interactive with non-Jewish um, people. I think that the time where I got the closest with them was when, in my senior year of high school, I actually went to a Christian school. I transferred to a Seventh Day Adventist Christian school where they didn't play basketball and Shabbat either. So I, you know, actually going to a Christian school um, on a daily basis, you know, was the first time I'd say like that I, you know, was really in a non-Jewish environment for like mm. a majority of the day. Hmm. And how did you have any interesting uh, interactions, or do you think you broke down any stereotypes for people um, to be this incredible athlete in a yarmulke and sitzes? Specifically at the Christian school, or oh, the, or maybe in any of your whether it was when you were getting those last I don't, I don't know if the three minutes of uh, playing with the people you know in town or the Christian school or the camp or in, any sort of story stick out, um, kind of in the the scope of your career where. Um, you know, you being very outwardly and proudly an observant Jew might have given someone a new perspective on the community. 
Yeah, 100%. There's so many stories. I'll just share one quick one with you. At some point in my life, I was playing for a team. We had a really tall center. His nickname was Tree. Everybody called him Tree because he was so tall. And many times, like before a regular game, the, the bus would stop at a non-kosher restaurant, um, and the players would get off and eat their pregame meal at a non-kosher restaurant. And obviously, I couldn't eat the food there because I keep kosher, so I would bring my own food. But the restaurants really didn't like that I was bringing in my own food in, in styrofoam and uh, sometimes they commented to me that it was not appropriate. And the guys on my team know how much I sacrificed for keeping kosher, that um, Tree specifically, he started doing this all on his own. I never asked him to, but we would pull up to a restaurant, and before any other players would get off the bus, he would walk into the entrance of the restaurant, and he was so tall, and he would look down at the people. They were kind of like intimidating, even though he was like really sweet, and he would say, like, look, we have a Jewish player on the bus, and he has to keep kosher, and um, if you don't let him eat his food here, you know, I don't think any of the guys are going to come eating in here, so you probably don't want to lose that business. Is it okay if the Jewish kid could bring in his own food? And they would say, sure, sure, you know, anything. So, like, mm-hmm. you, you know, there's just so many stories like that where my teammates um, would ultimately come to help me very much be a better Jewish athlete. Mm-hmm. I, I know when we filmed um, Senator Joe Lieberman with the same video that you were in, the, our first All-Stars video, he mentioned how he feels that non-Jews respect Jews who respect themselves, that when we take our, you know, religion and our mitzvah seriously, um, there's a respect that they have for us living up to those values. So um, that's a really an inspiring story. Um, you mentioned that your coach brought in, you know, different college basketball players and Division One basketball players. Were there any orthodox athletes that you could look to as role models? Did it even exist? I feel like between you and Dimitri Salido, another one of our all-stars from 2012, this is kind of a newer phenomenon. Like, do you, did this exist before and do you have any idea of why it didn't, if it didn't? Um, I think that we're all like a continuation, you know? So, like, I can remember that, like, there was a player named Daron Sheffer. He was an Israeli player that played for Connecticut when I was a kid. And I just remember my father calling me up one day, calling me upstairs, and he was like, hey, you got to come see the TV. And I ran up there, and Daron Sheffer, he just said the word Hanukkah. You know, he just said Hanukkah. And I just thought that that was the coolest thing in the world. I was like, I was probably like 10, 11 years old, but just, just to see that a player that plays for UConn, one of the best college teams, said the word Hanukkah. Like, to me, that was like the coolest thing in the world. And then, like, so I feel like, you know, there was Sandy Koufax, and there was always, like, there was always Jewish spirit out there. So, I, you know, I think that in every, you know, every generation, every athlete, like, we just try to continue it and, and, and try to increase the Jewish, the Jewish spirit more and more. And I think that now more than ever, we're seeing that. And, and I, I'm definitely seeing it now in that, um, you know, having been very close with Omri Kassi, who's an Israeli NBA player, and working with, with him and now working with, 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 with kids on a daily basis. And just, you know, I'm seeing kids now, even today I worked out with a, with a sixth grader when he comes on the court with his Yamaka and Sitsis, but it's like, he totally feels, he, he's totally confident that he could play college and professional basketball without having to hold back on his Judaism at all. And I think that it's just going to keep moving forward and forward. And we live in a very special time and people are more respectful of that. And yeah. um, it's very exciting that, that we could see this develop, and um, I'm, I'm just I'm just thankful that I was able to live out my dream, and I'm focused on helping as many people reach their dreams as possible. I mean, you really you you broke that glass ceiling because it hadn't been done before that, and I guess you seem to credit your father in part 
to, you know, pushing those boundaries. I guess maybe that's, maybe I answered my own question. Just Jews were not as vocal or, you know, out about their Judaism in a different age, especially Orthodox Jews, right? People didn't wear the yarmulkes and, and they weren't, you know, speaking about their observance. Um, but then as I guess maybe people started becoming more politically correct and people started, you know, having more understanding, things shifted. But still, <clears throat> the NBA is not a place that you can keep Shabbos, right? I'm saying when you played professionally, you, it had to be in Israel. I played professionally in Israel, but um, which was my dream. But I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if, if there's someone or somehow it, it could be accommodated because that's what they told me about Division One basketball. They, you know, everyone told me it's going to be impossible, but ultimately they changed the schedule for me. Towson University changed the schedule for me. I did not have to play one game or one practice on Shabbos in Division One, and I was in full athletic scholarship. And everybody told me that that was going to be impossible, but they did change the schedule for me. And you know, I did participate in NBA camp, and I even met with the commissioner one time of the NBA. And he was very nice to me, so I would not rule it out. Um, I don't think that that it's impossible. I think that the greatest reality of the world is that nothing is impossible. So where, so, so just for those of us who don't actually ever watch basketball, professional basketball, um, are the games always on Saturday, or are they different days of the week, or when when are most professional basketball games scheduled? Yeah, they're, they're throughout the week. Basically, mm-hmm. what my non-Jewish coach did for me in college was he he just went to the NCA or, or our conference and said, look, we have X amount of games on Saturday. I forgot what it was. And those games are starting at 3.30, but it was the winter, and Shabbat ended at like 5.30. So he just said, hey, can you just bump up the game two hours? Would that be okay? Or until 6 o'clock? And can we play at 6 instead of 3.30? And they, they did. And the only game I had to miss in my entire college career was um, conference semifinals because it was a post game. It was a postseason game. It wasn't a regular season game. My coach couldn't change the schedule. But even that game, I sat out uh, on a Friday night and after the game was over, my entire team came to my hotel room and they said, Tamir, we just want to let you know that we won the game for you and we won the game for Shabbat. We respect mm-hmm. so much that you didn't play in the game tonight. So even though I didn't physically play in the game, I felt like after they came to my hotel room spiritually, I did play because they won the game for me. They said, we, we won this game for you, that so you have a chance to play in the championship tomorrow night. We respect you so much that you set out tonight. So mm. things work out, and I think it's just a matter of us trying to be proud Jews as much as possible. It, and is this like a regular thing also? I'm just asking a question out of not really having enough background on this. Do players get... Um, pulled out of different games? Like, is that a normal thing that, like, just in a regular rotation, not every player is going to play every game? Yes, but if you're, like, a starter uh, or, or like, someone that plays a lot of minutes and you're healthy, usually mm-hmm. you're going to play because you're in rhythm with the team. The team expects you to do certain things, and uh, the timing of every play is very crucial to the second, like, you're so used to running the offense and setting screens. Every all the plays have to be like in, in perfect timing. And when you're the player that they're used to doing with it is out, it's like it takes a little bit of time to like adjust to that. So usually, you know, players the team likes consistency, likes playing with the same same players. But on the other hand, it gives, gives other players opportunities to step up and 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 fill the void. So. Um, uh, Usually, don't sit out though unless you're injured. If you're like a key, key player, 
I'm just trying to like think of a scenario, like meaning, like could that be a possible way out? That like in theory, it's not ideal. Meaning, like my husband's a lawyer at a big firm in Manhattan, and you know, ideally, you don't sit out of a you know a case in the middle of it. But um, if you have Shabbos, then you duck out for 25 hours, and then you come back in when it's over. So I wonder if we just maybe you know in the field of law, we've seen enough. Jewish lawyers, but we just haven't seen enough, you know, observant Jewish athletes to kind of challenge the system and make people kind of have a new framework. There was a high school basketball team, though, in the last few years that got very high up into some sort of competition and had a game that was scheduled for Shabbos, you know what I'm referring to? A hundred percent in Houston. And one of the most amazing things is, is that I originally was supposed to do a bar mitzvah in Houston, like a bar mitzvah speech in a clinic. And at the last second, the family postponed it. And they said, you know, something happened with the hall. Would it be okay if you came on a different date to Houston? And um, just end up speaking to the school and the team instead of having like the private bar mitzvah, would that be okay with you? And I said, sure. So I ended up doing that. And I ended up speaking there and not my whole story about not playing on Shabbat, very... And and then, like, very soon after that is when this whole incident happened with them. So it's, like, it's amazing that Hashem redirected the whole bar mitzvah so mm-hmm. that I could eventually speak to these basketball players before that whole incident went down. Just another one of these incredible miracles that happened to me throughout my journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what happened? Did, was the game rescheduled or did they sit it out? How did that go? Yeah, they ended up re- rescheduling. So mm-hmm. it's just, like, amazing. that has been so many times in my life where, like, seemingly, like, Hashem is just like, redirecting the schedule, redirecting the timing. It's almost like every time that happens, like when you look back, it's like it's like for a reason. And that and that situation was just another another time that happened to me in my life. Hmm. Beautiful. Um, and we spoke about how you know your um, observance affected your some of your teammates, some of the you know non-Jews that you worked with. Um, do you have any stories of any? kids, either observant kids that you've opened up doors for, or um, situations where people were into basketball and then seeing your Jewish lead kind of opened up more Jewishness to them? Yeah, I think that, you know, first of all, my it, it was all a very positive thing. It wasn't like a negative thing. I think that sometimes people think that Judaism is going to take you away from something and make you like, you know, you know, it's 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 taking you away from all the fun in your life. It's, you know, that's just kind of like the way society portrays religion sometimes. But it's it's really the opposite. I, even for my non-Jewish teammates, I'll start with them and then talk about Jewish people. But it's like my non-Jewish people teammates ended up loving Shabbat. Okay, I remember on Friday practices instead of saying one two three go Tigers, they would say one two three Shabbat Shalom. They were so happy. They would come to my dorm room. I would give them some of the sparkling grape juice from Kiddush. They loved it. It's like they got more time to rest on Saturday. Instead of having practice at noon, they had practice at night, so they were able to chill out more. And mm-hmm. it, they really came to appreciate it. And throughout my journey, I was very, very fortunate. And even till today that I still get letters, I still get emails from all sorts of people in all different professions saying, you know, I never wore my kippah when I went to work, but after I saw you in Sports Illustrated or something, I, I definitely started wearing my kippah. And, you know, I get I get that a lot, and um, I think throughout my whole journey, it's never been about me. It's always been about the Jewish people, and and um, definitely not a tragic, but I, I've always tried as much as possible to fulfill my potential and what Hashem is expecting from me, and that's because it wasn't about me. It's always something bigger than myself and about the Jewish people. It's allowed me to 
never be satisfied if I was playing well and never be too down if I wasn't playing well. Because if I was playing really well, I'd be like, hey, you know what? This isn't about me. I got to keep going. I can't take the day off. I got to, I got a lot of work to do. But if I was too down, it was always like, okay, I, I can't be too down. I'm on a mission here. I got to get back up. And that's why I say Judaism wasn't a negative. It was always a positive. It was always my blueprint. It was always like my, my, you know, my destination of, of how I need to react and where I need to go in, in every situation. And I think that we're lucky to have that. And it's always been a blessing. And that Shabbat, um, and in Judaism has, has, has always, like brought out the best in me and, and hopefully uh, everyone who, who I've encountered, whether they were Jewish or non-Jewish. I mean, I think, you know, it's a credit to your parents that they raised you to f- sort of go after what you love and find a way to fit it in that it left you with such a positive outlook. I mean, it's so inspirational. And even um, when, you know, you hit some bumps along the way where the first school that you were recruited to was not flexible on Shabbos and you had to go to another school instead um, I remember you told the story. We filmed you. You said that uh, you missed the championship game. You missed the championship ring, but the ring of Shabbos lasts forever. Um, it's just really <clears throat> such an incredible, uh, you know, outlook and perspective that you have. And unfortunately, um, some kids, you know, do get raised in an observant homes where it's all about all the stuff that they can't do. Um, <clears throat> Could you just, we're, we're coming to the end now, um, could you let us know a little bit about what you're, uh, what you're working on now? I know you eventually had to retire from professional basketball because of an injury, and you've gotten instead into coaching and mentorship and entrepreneurship. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, 100%. I, I got hurt in 2009, and I, I was forced to retire. And I said to myself, you know, I could either be really down that I'm never going to play a game that I love, or I could take everything that I've learned throughout basketball and turn it into something positive for the next generation. And that's what I've kind of committed my life to doing. Um, first, I launched a line of high-performance defeat called Sports Strings. I played professional basketball with defeat, and they were unable to, like, withstand the grind of professional basketball. So I Sports Strings are, are patented, and they're basically high-performance compression-fit defeat, moisture-wicking, odor-wicking, and UV protection. And we also had a great campaign to send them over to IDF Soldiers, um, you can get those at TamirGoodman.com. I also wrote a book with my wife um, about physical, mental, and spiritual lessons um, from the game of basketball called The Jewish Jordan's Triple Threat, um, which is up at Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. And I also invented a training aid called Domo 90, which helps players um, enhance their passing, dribbling, shooting, and conditioning uh, in training for basketball. And it's also now being used in the NBA. And you can learn more about that at Domo90.com. Hmm. And I also, um, back in Israel now, I work for a Paul Jerusalem a basketball team, the professional team in Jerusalem, hmm. and um, basically just trying to do as much chesed as possible through the amazing city of Jerusalem and the new arena that's here and the incredible team that we have here and uh, meeting with a lot of groups, tourism, camps, clinics, speaking engagements, and uh, all of it through this, uh, through a Paul Jerusalem. And uh, so if anyone comes to Israel, you're more than welcome to come to a game. And um, I also want to just give you a blessing for your amazing work, Allison, and I just wish you a lot of success. And everyone that's involved in helping you and supporting you, they should also be blessed. And okay. um, just, it's just a great, great honor to see you know, how, how well you're doing in, in all your amazing work. 
Well, thank you. So, you know, we can only do what we're doing here because we have people like you uh, to, you know, to showcase and to inspire people with. And, you know, since I can't tell the um, the sports story, it wouldn't go very well. Um, it's so great to have uh, such a, a great role model for you. And I remember um, when we filmed you for the video in 2012, I asked you, you know, did, if you had to have some trade-offs, like, could you be as successful as other people? And you said, like that success is a full package, that it's not just about, you know, succeeding in your career or in your hobby or whatever, but that the full package of success um, is, you know, the full picture, spiritual success and, you know, family success and professional success. And it's the whole, and so many people that do get the injuries, I, I imagine they don't bounce back the way that you did <clears throat> because they don't have that full package of success. So you're really just uh, incredible role model in that way. Can you just leave us now? We have about a minute and a half to go. Any advice for uh, some of our young listeners out there who do have, uh, you know, some talent in, in sports? How, how can they, you know, manage their observance and, and their athletic abilities? Any, any parting words? Yeah. I, first of all, I wish everybody a lot of luck and be very persistent and be very proud of who you are. Um, Judaism is always there to help you reach your potential, not take you away from your potential. Um, be very confident, be very proud. There's a difference between being confident and humility. On the one hand, you have to realize that everything does come from Hashem, but on the other hand, you have to take what Hashem has given you and be, be proud of that and confident with it and do and, and reach as far as you can with it. And at the same time, make sure you're uplifting and helping everybody throughout the, throughout the journey that you come across. And I think those are the keys uh, to success. You know, work very, very, very hard. Do every, enjoy every single day. Be thankful. Pray a lot. Help everybody around you. Be a proud Jew. Um, be confident and uh, be thankful for every day. <laughs> All right. So work hard and uh, and be devoted and and trust in God to fill in the rest. I guess. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for anything with their sports journey. They could always contact me. I help people almost every day, so that's what I'm here for. If anybody needs help, <laughs> thanks so much for uh, for you know sharing some time in your story today, and we wish you much success uh, in the future. Thank you, Latsha, and thank you for joining us today and listening to Tamir's inspiring story. We'll be here same time, same place next week. <laughs>